This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here, and uh, welcome to tonight's Ingles On The Beat. We're going to talk about the George Bulldogs, finding the show, Kirby Smarts. Press conference earlier today, the availability of some of the Bulldog players that have been injured and were injured in that victory over Kent State. And then, of course, second half of the show, every Monday night, Jeremy Pruitt, former Tennessee head coach, former Georgia defensive coordinator, former Alabama defensive coordinator, former Florida State defensive coordinator, uh, won national championships with two different programs. He's going to join us and break down what we saw last Saturday in the SEC, Give us some of that unique insight you can't get anywhere else and then look forward and project what might happen. Very big, important slate of games in the league this week. Look forward to hearing from Jeremy. Second half of the show. First half, Kirby Smart, I'll tell you what, you know, just like these guys that fill up the stat box in sports, Kirby fills up the headlines with news. Of course, lead news, negative note. Uh, Javon Bullard, sophomore, starting defensive back, plays the star position, of course. His status for the game in flux, we do not expect him to play based on prior University of Florida policy. But Kirby said, look, there's a process. He's got to go in front of a committee that includes uh, Deputy Athletic Directors Doris Griffin, as well as Josh Brooks, the athletic director, after being charged with the DUI offense early Sunday morning, right near Sanford Stadium officers observing Buller driving without his headlights on, and he uh, agreed to a field sobriety test as well as a breathalyzer, and uh, he was uh, arrested and invoked on those charges of DUI along with some misdemeanor driving offenses that night. Story on Dog Nation details, but uh, the takeaway is young guy made a big mistake, and now he has to go through the process that Jordan has in place uh, when these unfortunate instances occur. Uh, so, uh, William Plew also played that position. He was you know, parted from the team a few weeks ago. Uh, now, Tyke Smith was brought in from West Virginia to play this position. But, of course, you know, last year he suffered the knee injury. And, and he's been wearing a knee brace this year. And Kirby's talked a lot about how Tyke needs to get his confidence up. And not sure where he's at yet in terms of um, whether or not he's going to be able to play or to what extent that he's going to play the star position in this game. Kirby Smart uh, did say that there were some other options uh, at that position. Uh, he said Christopher Smith has taken some reps there. Kamari Lasseter has, has taken reps there uh, in the past as well. And uh, Washington, freshman Marcus Washington Jr., another player that can play there. So not really sure who might fill in uh, for Bullard against Missouri. That's where the game is this Saturday night. Check that out. Uh, but the dogs down a player in the secondary with Bullard likely not making that trip. Some other injury uh, updates. Good news. Kenny McIntosh, who left the game uh, after re-aggravating a thigh contusion. He'd already suffered that. All the way back in the Oregon game, got hit in that same spot. And that win over Kent State came out. Uh, he's expected to be available for the next game. At the receiver position, Arian Smith, who we have not seen this year, uh, he may be back for this game. Uh, so that would be very good for the receiving core. That'd be a nice picking up. Of course, A.D. Mitchell, the starting X, he's been out with that ankle injury. Kirby said they may get him back for this game as well. Jalen Carter, defensive tackle, his snaps have been limited. He's been dealing with a nagging ankle injury. Could probably play more, but why would you do that when you have other young, talented players on the interior that need experience? 
Expect Kirby Smart to continue to manage that snap count for Jalen Carter as they try to keep the big man off his feet. You know, that's a lot of explosive movement. It's hard for those um, injuries, the soft tissue injuries to heal when you continue to use them. So this is something that Kirby's managing, I think, very carefully um, and, and very wisely because let's face it, you know, Georgia has an incredibly difficult stretch run in the month of November. So you want to play these guys to an extent but you don't want to risk re-injuring it. You want these guys to have a chance to heal. You know, the win over Kent State is what it was, right? You saw three turnovers. Um, you know, that's to Bennett with his first interception of the season. We saw Lad McConkey have an issue with a punt return and a fumble. And, of course, uh, then they also executed a fake punt against Georgia, which is really almost like four turnovers. The, the McConkey mistakes, I think this is important to note. And I think Kirby Smart felt it important to note that Ladd has been dealing with a foot injury, you know, early since early in the season. And sometimes when a guy's playing with an injury, you know, it, it can affect you, right? I mean, you got to be clear-minded and fearless on those punt returns. I believe one of the most difficult plays in any sport is punt return. Think about it. You know, you've got to be able to, you know, find the ball, field the ball cleanly as it comes towards you and, and have a preconceived notion of where you're going to go once you catch the ball. And oh, by the way, there's, guys bang down on you and you're their bullseye that's it takes a lot of focus concentration and timing and you know a guy that's dealing with a foot injury could be just a little bit off and i've mentioned Kirby's kind of had a propensity i, I know he trusts these guys greatly and when Kirby smart puts a george bulldog back in a punt return it's one of the greatest compliments that he can give a football player nobody values the ball like Kirby smart uh, a defensive-minded coach that never wants to put his defense in a bad position. So when you look at the guys that have played that position, they've been guys that Kirby sings great praises for. Um, you know, whether it was Tyler Simmons or Pierce Jackson, now Lad McConkey. I mean, these are team guys who work hard and build that trust up almost to a fault, I've suggested. You know, Kirby wants them, even though they've been injured. Tyler Simmons had a shoulder brace on him. He was trying to return pumps. Remember, he fumbled one against Notre Dame. Uh, you know, we saw Kiaris Jackson back there, you know, with a knee injury. Wasn't healthy enough to play receiver against Clemson last year, but he was healthy enough to return punts. And you go, well, now, wait a minute. That is the trust factor that Kirby places in these guys. So, you know, you keep McConkey back there with the foot injury. Certainly with all the talent that Kirby has, can he find someone else that he trusts that's 100% healthy? And that's going to be a question moving forward. We'll see. Lad McConkey probably some overuse. Uh, I mean, this kid plays so hard, has been so well-developed. He's such a team leader. Uh, you know, one bad game for Ladd McConkey doesn't mean anything. I don't think he's ever had a game like this in his life. Uh, but sometimes things happen. And uh, I think Georgia can breathe a sigh of relief that it happened against Kent State, a team that they could and did beat uh, still handily, 39-22. Not as pretty as some would like, but Kirby said, you know what? Uh, the team got better. There's going to be some teaching points. There was a lot of young players that played a lot of snaps in that game. And that probably had something to do with Georgia maybe not being as dominant. I think the noon kick had something to do with it. I think Stetson Bennett was right when he said he didn't know if they were awake yet with it being a noon kick. I mean, it is a, diff it is a little different on your body clock. Many teams practice during the day. I know South Carolina, Tennessee, a couple of them. Georgia is an afternoon practicing team. Now, how much does that affect the body clock? You know, it is a different pregame for the noon starts, although George looked very impressive coming out against South Carolina. That was on the road, hostile environment. You just have to wonder if the dogs let down their intensity and focus a little bit. 
playing a team from the Mid-American Conference. I know Kent State is a team that played well, right? But at the same time, this is not an SEC caliber program. The MAC Conference is 1-49 against the SEC going back to 2010. Kent State is 0-7 all-time against the SEC. They don't have any players in the NFL, and they haven't had anybody drafted since 2014. Now, it's okay to say they played good, but I can't accept this. This is a good team. 33-3. I believe the Washington team the open at 45-20. It's okay that Georgia didn't play their best game. Now, I say that. Now, Kirby Smart has an entirely different opinion. He has a certain standard, and he wants these players to measure up to that. And he wants these players to be confident. Right? And he's also a coach's son, so he's always going to be complimentary of the other team. Kirby's a gentleman when it comes to comments on the other coaching staff and the other team. Uh, that, that's his nature. That's never going to change. That's part of who Kirby is. Um, so I, I know some people got frustrated with, you know, Kirby being overly complimented, but that's who he is. He's going to say that whether it's 100 to zero or one to zero. He's always going to be complimentary of the other team staff. Again, son of the coach and, um, you know, kind of a throwback to those, uh, those southern gentlemanly manners when it comes to the coach speak you're always going to get that but the big takeaway is the dogs did win i do think it provided some really valuable snaps for some players you know we've got saw we got see brock bowers with what an incredible 75 yard run you know brock bowers has five touchdowns and he's only touched the ball 18 times the guy has scoring more than one out of every four times that he touches the football he's remarkable could he be a heisman trophy candidate he certainly has the talent but I think going back to what I was saying about how Kirby's managing the roster, trying to keep everybody healthy for November, you know, if Kirby wanted Brock Bowers to get the Heisman Trophy, he could give him 10 to 15 touches every game, and Bowers would put up amazing numbers and, and be a Heisman candidate, one of the front runners, probably. But what kind of shape would he be in physically come November if he did that? So you always got to remember, like Kirby said, Georgia doesn't practice to beat each team. They practice to beat everybody. And part of that is developing young talent and championship depth. You know, I still say, if you go back to last year, and I don't think it gets talked about enough, I think the coaching staff did an, an unbelievable job, not just from the standpoint of how Todd Munkin changed the offensive scheme when they went from JT Daniels, who a, a bit of a, a shootout quarterback, four-wide kind of guy, uh, to Stetson Bennett, where you went more to a play-action a shot play kind of team. Not only did Munkin change the game plan with the quarterbacks, but just the fact that Georgia had a fifth-year quarterback ready to back up JT if something went wrong. Just the fact that Georgia had a fifth-year linebacker and Robert Beal ready to go when Sachs leader and projected first-round pick Adam Anderson was dismissed from the program. Not too many programs could plug in fifth-year players with the experience of a Stetson Bennett and a Robert Beal and not miss a beat. You know, Georgia was already without George Pickens, who would have been, I believe, the best receiver in the SEC. And, of course, Dominic Blaylock wasn't back either. When you started last year, Brock Bowers was a true freshman. A.D. Mitchell was a true freshman. Vlad McConkey was a redshirt freshman, very little experience. And you had to face the number two defense in the country and, and really an environment they were comfortable in in Charlotte. That was a really big win for Georgia football. Without that win over Clemson, you don't get a second chance against Alabama last year. So when I go back and tell people about the championship season, I always go right to that depth, that championship depth, right? So now fast forward to this year. 
you're going to have some injuries. You're going to have some attrition. We've seen that. Kenny McIntosh going out with an injury. A.D. Mitchell, we know McConkie is now slowed. Um, you know, on defense, you know, Javon Bullard, you know, with his off-the-field issues that occurred. William Poole no longer with the team. Who Jalen Carter missing snaps. Do you have championship depth? So far, you've had enough depth to beat the likes of Sanford, South Carolina, and most recently, Kent State. It's tougher on the road at Missouri, an SEC environment under the lights, very difficult. And then you come home for what's going to be a 3.30 start, prime time against the Auburn Tigers, a team that has a lot of athletes and certainly a passion for Georgia with this being a rivalry game. The fact this is a CBS game, there's going to be a lot of hype. Now, I don't know if Brian Harkin will still be the head coach, and I'm not even kidding. Uh, LSU plays at Auburn this week. I think this is a must win for Auburn. Uh, and for Harson, could there be a change if LSU wins that game? I don't know. Uh, we're going to talk to Jeremy Pruitt about what he sees in his crystal ball for the Auburn Tigers. And Jeremy told me before the show some very interesting thoughts he has about Jordan Hare Stadium that I think a lot of Georgia Bulldog fans can absolutely um, you know, relate to. So I think you're going to want to stick around for that second half of the program with Jeremy Pruitt uh, here on the Eagles on the Beach Show. I went to the Tennessee Florida game. Last weekend, and we did some stand-ups. I went on the show with Brandon Adams, the post-game show last week. Uh, the Dog Nation Daily Program, who does every weekday at 10 a.m. I was on that from location in Knoxville. Because at Dog Nation, we want to try to bring you a little bit more. You know what's going on here in Athens. I think that's canvassed pretty heavily. But I wanted to know what Desmond Howard thought about Stetson Bennett in Georgia after he said in the preseason that the dogs would take a step back. I wanted to know what Reese Davis thought about the Stetson Bennett story. You can go to our YouTube channel right now and see those interviews with Desmond Howard and Reese Davis. I, I think you're gonna, your eyes will be open and certainly your ears will. Desmond Howard uh, got a little puffy, uh, didn't really care to talk about Georgia. Uh, but again, I'll, I'll let you check that out on our YouTube channel. And again, Reese Davis, very entertaining. But watch that football game and watching Tennessee and Florida combined for 1,170 yards. The first thought I had is Georgia wouldn't give up 500 yards to anybody. At least I wouldn't think so. Uh, but the second thought I had is, oh, my goodness, Hendon Hooker and this Tennessee offense is indeed dangerous. You know, Pruitt told us, you know, Tennessee was the only team east of the Mississippi that could score with Georgia and Alabama. I had to see that. They struggled a little bit at Pitt. I thought, well, maybe not. But watching them against the Gators and watching how they did it without their leading receiver, very impressive. Hendon Hooker, very impressive. He was the National Offensive Player of the Week. That, to me, is the most dangerous threat to Georgia right now is Hendon Hooker in the belt. Anthony Richardson, he did quite a bit. He accounted for over 500 yards of offense. Now, that's another team Georgia plays in Jacksonville. It's a designated home game for Georgia this year, but it will be played in Jacksonville. Uh, one more year of that contract through 2023. We're still waiting to hear what President Jerry Moorhead and Athletic Director Josh Brooks determine is best for the program after that contract expires in 2023. But this year, could the Gators pose a threat? Florida is shallow on their defensive front seven, right? They can't afford to lose any players there. I think Georgia's going to be able to run the ball effectively when they get to the Gators. Offensively, though, Florida could prove dangerous. Anthony Richardson, again, the guy's dynamic. There's a reason why he's a projected first-round pick. So interesting watch that Tennessee-Florida game, talk to people from both schools. Now, both of those programs are very clear 
that the Georgia Bulldogs are the class of the East. I think everybody knows that. I think everybody acknowledges that Kirby Smart is always going to have Georgia ready to play football when it comes into those big-time games like Florida, like Tennessee, like at Mississippi State and at Kentucky uh, in the month of November. I think they know that Kirby will have the dogs ready. But the way the game is structured now with all the offense, you know, it was an eye-opener. That was my takeaway was, you know what, Kirby Smart is right. He's told us all along that this team has to get better. He's told us all along that there's areas for the team to grow. And he was asked after the game what happened. He said the same thing that's always been happening. You guys just didn't notice it because other teams weren't taking advantage of it like Kent State did. So Kirby's known all along how far this program's had to go. And he said that every week. But it's just hard when we're watching him beat Oregon 49-3 to and South Carolina 48-7 to to maybe not get carried away and make comparisons. But the head coach knew better, and Kent State exposed that this last week. And now Kirby Smart with some teaching points. Matt Stinchcomb pointed that out. A lot of good teaching points come out of a game like this, right? That's how you turn a, a performance like that into a positive is you sit those guys down and say, this is what can happen. And you're able to sit them down and tell them that without having that L on your schedule. So I think it was a big win for Georgia. I know it wasn't satisfying for the folks that filled up Sanford Stadium here behind me on Saturday. But there was a part of Kirby Smart that I think appreciates the opportunity to teach after a game like that, almost kind of a now do I have your attention thing. And just in time, because here comes the SEC. Again, at Missouri, lost in heartbreaking fashion, and then home against Auburn in a 3.30 game. I want to take a break right now and recognize our sponsor, Ingles, as we do each Monday. Appreciate what Ingles has done for us, the way Ingles delivered frontline workers and the depths of the pandemic. Very hard times that tested all of us, and Ingles was up to the test for each one of us. Let's take a moment and recognize our sponsor, Ingles. And when we come back, Jeremy Pruitt joins us. It's in our hearts to feel for there's been ups and downs, turnarounds, good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. We'll always have your back. Open arms, heart to heart, hand in hand. Community strong. Well, as promised, back with Jeremy Pruitt. I always appreciate Coach Pruitt joining us on uh, these Mondays to recap. Uh, what was an exciting weekend of football around the SEC, and then look forward to what we got coming up. Uh, TV Times recently announced for the games this weekend, and we'll certainly get to that. But uh, Jeremy, there was a lot of great football on one of the games that was not on regular cable TV. Hard to believe this might have been a recent television history that a number one ranked team in the nation was not available even on the most basic of the cable stations, was actually streamed. Uh, Kirby Smart probably sending them a thank you note. The dogs did not look prolific. They did not measure up to the standard in this 39-22 to 22 win over Kent State. It was a noon game. I've got to ask you, uh, when you play a home game like that, a noon game, not televised, I, I know that it, it places you've coached Alabama, Florida State, Georgia, Tennessee. You always want to play to that standard, but is there some part of that human element where sometimes the kids just don't get as focused or as up for a game like that? Well, I think you can look. We talked about a couple of weeks when Georgia traveled to <clears throat> South Carolina 
you know, playing at a noon game there. So, um, you know, yeah, I'd say there is a part of that, you know, your, your morning starts a lot sooner, uh, you know, so I, 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 I was the stand, was the stands packed? I don't know. Was the crowd into it? I don't know. You know, sometimes, um, the, the fan base, the crowd can kind of carry a team and get them going a little bit, but Hey, Georgia won. There's no apologies behind that. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of really good teaching moments for Kirby and his staff. You know, and it's interesting you say that because that, that's kind of, that was Kirby's read. Like, you know what? We made progress this week was, was his takeaway. This team got better. He said, and you're thinking, wait a minute, you know, you, you had three turnovers, really four because they gave up a fake punt, but Stetson threw a pick, uh, you know, Lad McConkie fumbled a punt and, and fumbled a, a reception. You're thinking, how, how can Coach Smart be thinking, uh, you know, that this is a, but I guess he played a lot of guys. I mean, as you go through the film and you survive a game like that, 39-22, you win comfortably, but is it easier? You mentioned teach from points. Is it a little bit easier to teach and get the players' attention? Uh, maybe when a team like that sticks around, it's not supposed to, and, and fans are buzzing a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Um, you know, Kirby and his staff are, are great teachers. Uh, this will give them an opportunity to uh, kind of go back and go over some things, and there's a lot of teaching moments, I'm sure, in the game. Um, and, and they'll do that this week just like they do every week. And if he says they improved as a team, <clears throat> I guarantee they did. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt he's a, he's a great teacher, and certainly he's built this into a number one program where now we're, like you say, we're kind of picking at the wins. At the end of the day, it's a win. You survived. You move on, uh, and that's really big. And he kept some important guys out. You know, you're managing the roster as much as you're managing the game. You know, if you got Jalen Carter projected first-rounder and the big guy's ankle's a little sore, probably could have played more snaps, but why do it? If Kenny McIntosh starting running back bruised the thigh, maybe could have gone back in, but why chance it? Because uh, you're managing for the whole season. I want to ask you about some other games. And the one that jumps out to me, the one I was at, and when you talked about Tennessee and Florida, turned into just a quarterback shootout, Jeremy. 1,170 yards of total offense between those teams. That's a modern era record. As far back as the box scores go at Tennessee, 1990, never seen that kind of offense, even eight Manning, Danny Whirlpool days. Uh, you witnessed that. What were some of your immediate takeaways? Hendon Hooker. Uh, right now might be playing as good as anybody in the country. Uh, and there's some good quarterbacks this year across the country, and he may be the best. Uh, he's definitely producing. He's taking care of the football. He kind of puts the team on his back. Uh, and when they need a play, he makes a play. Yeah, and, and, and Anthony Richardson is a guy we've heard a lot of buzz about. That was his first time on a road start. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, you felt they were fortunate to beat Utah. Uh, and then, sure enough, they did get beat at home against Kentucky. Did you see anything from Richardson to make you feel like the Gators, even though they lost, might have made some progress and he might be a little bit more dangerous than maybe we thought or, or than maybe uh, he would have been had he not had a performance like that, even in defeat? Well, if you, if you look at his numbers, the number of games that he's played, he's still a young football player. Uh, so he's going to really grow and – Billy's going to do a nice job coaching him, and they've got to get some more guys, some more pieces around him uh, to help protect him and give him a little bit of time and keep him up on his feet. But he has the potential to be a really good player one day. Now, you told us at the beginning of the year you thought that Tennessee was the only team that could score, Tennessee east of the Mississippi that could only score with, uh, with Alabama and Georgia. Uh, are your thoughts any different? Are the Vols still the main threat in the east? Is it Kentucky? 
Um, was there any change of your opinion of the Vols after that game, maybe a press even more? No, I, I think Tennessee's probably where we thought they were. Uh, they have a really good offense, very explosive. Um, they've got really good specialists. I think they've continued. You can see the growth on their defensive front seven. Uh, they've had some injuries in the in the back end. Just looking, they've played a lot of different folks the first four games. So uh, I think their season, uh, how far they climb, will depend on the growth in the back end and the secondary. Yeah, one of my takeaways uh, on that team, Jeremy, a lot of those guys and a lot of older players that have been around a long time, Latrell Bumpuses and Jacob Warm, names that I heard years and years ago. That is a very mature football team. I think that bears watching. Now, over in the West, quite a showdown in Arlington between Texas A&M and Arkansas, and just a, a crazy ending with a football hitting the top of a goal post. And even at the end of the first half, a fumble recovery for A&M. A lot of swings all kind of broke A&M's way. Your thoughts on that football game that Texas A&M won over Arkansas 23-21? Well, it's interesting. Um, to me, I feel like Arkansas is the best football team uh, if you compared the two, but uh, Texas A&M won the game, and that's the beauty of college football. Uh, the best team doesn't always win. It's the team that plays the best for 60 minutes, and that was a case in point there. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Arkansas rebounds this week because they've got Alabama coming, so there's no no time off in the in the SEC. So I look for that to be a close game as well. Yeah, it should be. You know, interestingly enough, I've got a vote in this football writers poll. And I'm, I'm one of these guys that, you know, it, it, just because everybody wins doesn't mean I keep them in the same place. I saw the way Alabama beat Vanderbilt. I mean, 55 to 3. Vanderbilt was right there with Wake Forest, right? I mean, Wake took punch in overtime. I said, you know what? This week, I got Alabama number one. Now, I don't know what it'll be next week. I'm going to down to Bama one. Didn't make any kind of difference in the standings. But uh, that game, the Crimson Tide, Going to Arkansas, that's a tough uh, bounce-back game for the Hogs. How do you see that playing out in Fayetteville this weekend? Well, I think start with Alabama on offense. Uh, they kind of continue the momentum. The last time they went on the road, uh, they struggled. And I think if you look over the last two years, uh, Bryce Young, uh, especially the latter half of last year when they traveled, they didn't, they, they wasn't as explosive on offense. So I think being able to create some explosive plays offensively, maybe generating some plays in the special teams and can, is Arkansas's defensive backs, can they hold up? If they can hold up and force Alabama to run the football, then it should be a tight football game. If they can't, then it could be a long day for Arkansas. Yeah, and Sam Pittman announcing today they've lost another DB with an injury. They got a couple of those hogs down in the secondary. You saw Spencer Rattler throw for over 300 yards. It's going to require a really good Arkansas round, round game, I would think, to get something established there. Texas A&M, meanwhile, uh, Jimbo Fisher, uh, you know, with his uh, riverboat gambler luck there, they go to Mississippi State. Now, this is an intriguing game to me. Mississippi State had that letdown against LSU, had a big bounce back win. Uh, your thoughts on Texas A&M going to Mississippi State this week? Well, I know for me, I always looked at schedules, right? So. I realized when I looked at them in three. So this is going to be the third week in a row that, that Texas A&M has played a really tough game. Really four weeks, I guess, counting App State. They lost. But App State, <clears throat> excuse me, Miami, uh, Arkansas, now they go on the road uh, to Mississippi State. When you have to take that third week going on the road in any SEC school, unless you, over the last 20 years, unless you're 
University of Alabama and maybe the last six years since Kirby's been in Georgia, the chances of winning those games are about 40%. It's just the grind in the SEC. So uh, this will be a huge challenge, in my opinion, for Texas A&M going on the road at Mississippi State. LSU and Auburn is another intriguing game I want to ask you about, Coach. I mean, LSU's been taking care of business, winning games under Brian Kelly. It seems like they found something. As you said, Brian Kelly turned it at halftime of that Mississippi State game. The Tigers win that pulling away. And then you've got Auburn, which is coming off a very fortuitous victory. Missouri missing a field goal at the end of regulation. And then a, you know, really a, just an unfortunate play for Missouri. The, the player actually fumbles the ball as he's going into the end zone, what would have been the winning score. So if you're Auburn and you're Brian Harson, you're thanking your lucky stars to get that victory. But now you got to come home and play a night game against what looks to be a pretty hot LSU squad. What are your thoughts about this game in Jordan-Hare Stadium? As long as Auburn plays in Jordan-Hare Stadium, they got a chance. I can assure you that. Somebody needs to write a book about all the uh, – wins that's kind of been crazy in that stadium. That was just another one Saturday. Three chances that Missouri had to win the game. You mentioned it, missed the field goal, fumbled out of the end zone. They also jumped all sides in overtime when Auburn missed the first field goal. So three chances in really about two minutes span there. But uh, again, Auburn's a hard place to win. Uh, you, you've been there covering a lot of teams and especially at night. Uh, I would look for the Auburn faithful to create a huge advantage for Auburn. Uh, and I think Auburn might surprise LSU this week. That's a, that's a really interesting pick. And, of course, you've been in that stadium as, in a minute, number of capacities as well, from player to GA to assistant coach to head coach. What is it about Jordan Harris? I mean, we know about LSU. We always talk about Baton Rouge Tiger Stadium under the lights. But it's almost like Auburn – and I would agree with you about Jordan the, the, the calls seem to go away. I mean, it just there seems to be something curious about that place. Can you put your finger on it? You have some thoughts on? Is it a mystique? Is it? How would you how would you describe what happens in that stadium sometimes? Well, it's uh, it's obviously loud, right? The stands are right on top of you. Very passionate fan base, uh, and it just seems like there's a, the ball bounces Auburn's way in that stadium. Uh, I mean, we just. I've not done any thinking about this, but I could probably talk about 10 different instances just right off the top of the head in my lifetime that Auburn wins games and they, I don't know how they did, uh, but they won them. Saturday was one of them. Saturday was another, it's right, another page in the uh, annals of uh, Jordan Harris Stadium. As I covered that team long ago, Jeremy, just to put a quick anecdote, in 93 when I was covering the team, I called it Jordan here for a while. And one of the uh, SID said, look, if you're going to cover this team, you got to say it right, okay? Jordan for Suge Jordan, the coaching legend. So, of course, Alabama fans like to call it Jordan. They call it whatever they want as long as they're dominating that series. Now, the Missouri team, now there's the other half of this. Here's a heartbroken team. Uh, you know, Coach Eli Drinkwitz just he looked absolutely flustered, mind blown after the game. You know, maybe a coach who's kind of feeling that seat warm up a little bit. He's got to come home. Advantage seven night game there in, in Columbia, Missouri, but he's facing a Georgia Bulldogs team that you and I both know, Kirby Smart, will have been all over after what I believe was a subpar performance against Kent State. Uh, what are your thoughts on Georgia at Missouri, and what would Missouri have to do to shock the world and beat the Georgia Bulldogs? Well, I think this is a great opportunity for uh, Coach Drinkowitz and his team. 
you know, they, they, you know, played nearly a perfect game until the last part of the uh, last five minutes and, and kind of let the wind slip away, but they, they got one of the best teams in the country, if not the best team in the country coming in there. Uh, so I'm going to tell you, they better forget about that when it happened last week in Auburn and they better focus on the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, if they don't, it could get ugly in a hurry. And then just as far as Kirby, is there something to be said, Jeremy, for when a coach and a program goes on the road? I know that home games are always advantageous, but I've also heard about how teams can bond a little bit when they get a little bit more separated from the player, the parents, the normal environment. That you know, sometimes those road trips that maybe there's hair and less distraction. Can that work to a program's advantage sometimes? Well, you find out who you are. Uh, if you if you've got a lot of competitive men in the locker room. They love playing on the road in the SEC. Uh, you know, you walk into a stadium and there's 90 to 100,000 folks against you. So it's you against everybody else. So uh, the competitive spirit shows up and the teams that have that, um, you know, they, they embrace it. Uh, and I, I would look for Georgia to do that. Now, I'm going to tell you, when you go to Missouri, there's not going to be 90,000 in the stands. Uh, I can tell you that. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of a – it's one of the few places in the SEC that's a little bit unique in the way the stadium's built, but I believe they might have expanded some, so maybe it'll be full. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about – both sounds optimistic to me, Coach. Hey, before I let you go, this is the last question. Outside the SEC, we are starting to hear the drums beat a little bit about the Ohio State, Ohio State University. We know that the SEC year in and year out has an elite level of talent by far the most players drafted into the NFL, but the one program outside the league that seems to be able to match talent for talent year in and year out is Ohio State because of that recruiting base in Ohio. And now we see the Buckeyes once again, looking like they may emerge as a threat. Do you keep one eye on Ohio State? And what's kind of been your perspective? Because again, another program you're very familiar with, having recruited against them, having prepared for them and helped prepare for them, uh, thoughts on Ohio State as a legitimate national championship contender this year, perhaps? Uh, to be quite frank, Mike, I, I I focus on the SEC. Until one of those teams comes in here and, and beats the SEC, uh, I guess then maybe I'll start focusing on them. But I enjoy watching these teams down here play. I, I will say this. What about Bo Nix at Oregon this past week? I don't know if you saw his performance, but he came back. Uh, I bet you the folks in Auburn wished he was down there playing for them right now. They're looking for some some uh, play at quarterback. But, no, Ohio State's got a really good football team. Uh, they've recruited really well. They've got speed. They're good at the quarterback position. They've changed defensive coordinators, trying to be a little more aggressive there. So, yes, there'll be a team there at the end of the year. Yeah, I just can't see anybody in that league stopping him. I know people are high on Michigan, but I saw what I saw. And I know this this year's game is, uh, I believe, in Columbus. So kind of keeping an eye on the periphery on who might be waiting for Alabama or Georgia, which still look like the two best teams to me. But to your point, Arkansas Razorbacks, a pretty good program playing at home this weekend, will be dialed in. Coach Pruitt, thank you so much for joining us. It's always interesting to get that, that perspective and uh, – Hope I didn't bring up too many bad Auburn memories for you. Like I said, I know they've done some crazy things down there. and Once or twice, you might have been on the wrong end of that. So we'll, uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next week, Jeremy. All right, Mike. That'll do it for the show. I want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. I want to thank our sponsor, Ingles. They bring it to you every week. And 
you know, without them, the show wouldn't be possible. And again, Coach Pruitt and his insight, I believe, gives us a very unique angle and insight into things we just possibly could not know as outsiders. And, you know, you think about the places Jeremy's coached and been and certainly seen a lot and very knowledgeable as to how these inner workings go with the staffs at uh, Nick Saban and certainly Kirby Smart as well. And right here in Georgia, knows what this Georgia Bulldogs program is all about. You guys know it too. Dog Nation Daily every day, 10 a.m. with Brandon Adams. Check him out tomorrow. Centel on Wednesday night the edges and of course now counter coverage on sunday nights i look forward to seeing you guys friday night on our go with the flow program at 7 p.m i'll make my picks and uh, project what might happen this weekend in the sec have a great week everybody